Good morning and welcome to Alger Assembly of God. We do welcome you back to our series, our study entitled Stories Jesus Told. Jesus told stories. We call them parables as he would talk about familiar things and then he would relate a spiritual teaching or a spiritual principle. He covers all kinds of topics, things like God's love, salvation, judgment, faith, perseverance and persistence in prayer, and yes, even finances. Now, in an article called The Energy of Money, author Maria Nemeth writes this. She says, money is an uncomfortable subject for most of us. Many people would rather talk about their sex lives than about their bank balance. A couple of words you probably don't often tend to hear in church. But it's an interesting thought. She says, we love money and we hate it. We can't live with it and we can't live without it. Money can be a source of great joy and creativity, or it can bring frustration and misery depending on our relationship to it. Here's the truth. Our hearts are tied to our finances way more than we want to admit. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look at Luke chapter 12. I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 12 as we examine yet another story, yet another parable, and we're going to see how Jesus addresses some thoughts and some principles about finance. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, it says this, Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me the judge over you to decide such things as that? Stop right there. So we started in verse 13, but if you go back up to the beginning of the chapter, Luke chapter 12, verse 1, we see that there, there is a large crowd of people who's gathered around. In fact, it talks about thousands of people. And so from verse 1 to this point where he's interrupted, Jesus is speaking and teaching about hypocrisy, about fearing God. And he's just gotten done talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit will help you and give you some of the words to speak when you're not sure what to say. So Jesus is covering a variety of topics. And then right there in the middle of the sermon, a man stands up, a man interrupts and says, Hey, tell my brother to give me some money. You imagine, be kind of like here in the middle of the message, in the middle of the sermon, someone stands up and says, Hey, Pastor Mark, you got any ideas for my 401k retirement? Now, we don't know. Maybe they're in the midst of this large crowd. Maybe there were some other interruptions. It's, it's possible. It's likely. But for sure, this man interrupted, and for sure, this man had a big question. In other words, he's kind, of, he's kind of saying, Jesus, what you're saying is great, but I got a pretty big deal over here I need some help with. What's he talking about? Finances. Now, it seems like his brother is not dividing the inheritance with him. It's not unusual for there to be some arguments and disagreements when it comes to dividing up an estate. Maybe you've experienced that in, in your home or in your family and the loss of a loved one. 
Maybe you've seen or heard about that in other individuals. Now, Jewish practice was for the firstborn to inherit a double portion. Find that in Deuteronomy 21.17. So this is obviously the younger brother, and he obviously has a grudge against this older brother. One of two things is probably taking place in this story that Jesus tells. Either the older brother is not going to give him anything, as, as this man is saying, hey, Jesus, tell him to divide the estate. Maybe the brother is simply not doing anything, or the younger brother is simply not very happy with his share. That the older brother, why does he get the double portion and, and I don't get quite as much? Either way, he's not happy. The truth is this. Nothing competes for our hearts like money, like resources, like finances. And so as we take a look at Jesus' response and take a look then at the parable and the story that Jesus tells, Jesus is going to give us some practical financial principles on living our lives. Here's principle number one. You and I need to measure life appropriately. Check it out in verse 15. Jesus said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Jesus said, life is not measured by what you own. In other words, you and I must learn to measure the right way and the right things. Because in Jesus' day and age, as well as in today's day and age, it seems to be that the more stuff you have, the better you are. The better your life is. Jesus said, life's not measured by how much you own. He says, guard against greed. Some versions or translations, as you're reading, might talk about coveting or covetousness. Think back with me to the Old Testament, right around Exodus chapter 20, to this thing called Ten Commandments. In fact, number 10 specifically says in four words, thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet. Now, now, we will often try to put some friendlier words on there instead of covet. We'll, we'll talk about somebody's ambition. We'll talk about somebody's drive. But sometimes what we're really talking about is simply greed and covetousness. Now, understand, this word greed or covetousness, it can apply to anybody, Right? Coveting is not just for a rich person wanting more. It's for someone who doesn't have very much at all and wanting more. You and I, no matter what your situation might be, we can covet. We can want more and more and more. See, the problem is this. Greed makes us believe that life is about what we have. We like to have stuff. The, the basic thought of the world is what? Get all you can and then get some more. That's the idea. We want to, and our world says, we've got we've to get more and more. The more stuff we have in our hands, 
the more successful we must be, so we must then need to get more and more and more stuff. No, now you've heard the phrase, he who dies with the most toys wins. Guess what? He who dies with the most toys still dies. But the idea is, well, somehow we win the more stuff we have. One of my uh, early childhood memories, I think it was one of those scholastic book fairs. You know, they, they come to elementary school and they sell books and posters and all kinds of stuff. And I remember, I think it was this quote, but the poster showed this beautiful beach house on the ocean, this long winding driveway and this massive five or six or 10-car garage with all these luxury vehicles. I think I've seen them fairly recently. They're still out there. Porsche, Ferrari, Lamborghini, and everyone. And the idea is this is what life is all about. It's about stuff. And then getting some more stuff. And then getting some more expensive stuff. But listen, you and I are not the sum total of our possessions. Who we are isn't based on how much or what we have. It's, it's not where we find our identity, although that's what typically happens in the world. Oh, you know so-and-so who drives a, oh, so-and-so who wears a, or so-and-so who has a. In our world, it's oftentimes identified by stuff, but he's saying because careful and cautious. He says, life's not measured by how much we own. Many times we, we let possessions or we, we let status or title or amount of stuff define us. The reality is this. You and I can have all kinds of stuff, everything we want, and yet still be miserable. You've probably seen and heard uh, through the years. I mean, it, it's, it's repeated, repeated like a worn-out record. Famous people, athletes, musicians, actors, etc., who seem to have it all, and then you hear or you read a quote, and basically what they're saying is, my life is empty. And you look at them and you say, man, if I had your life, my life would be awesome. And they're saying, I've got it all, and I'm still lacking. So when Jesus, he's talking about finances, he's talking about possessions, but he's saying, listen, we've got to measure our life appropriately. It's not based on how much we have. Now see, the, the man in the story is probably much like the man who is asking the question in that he confused ownership and stewardship. We like ownership to say, that's mine. It's one of the first words that a little child will learn, right? Mine. Try giving a toy to a little baby and then try taking it back. You'll hear that word mine awful quick. Mine applies to anything within their reach, right? If you give it to me, it's mine. If I see it, it's mine. If I touch it, it's mine. If I slobber over it, it's mine. If I put it down, it's still mine. I mean, mine, mine, mine. Our ideas. 
Stewardship, though, is that we are an overseer, in a sense, a manager of what God gives, what God blesses. Many times we get confused. We say, man, I own it. This is mine. What does Psalm 24:1 say? The earth and everything on it belong to the Lord. The world and its people belong to him. In other words, it's all God's. What we have has been given to us by him. We oversee it. We manage it. We steward it for a while. But everything is God's. And if what we have is on loan from him and we manage it and we oversee it, then greed doesn't make sense. So right off the bat, Jesus is speaking to the man with the question. And he's saying, measure life appropriately. It's not about the stuff or about the amount of stuff. Life's not measured by what we own. Here's a second financial principle that Jesus gives us, and it's this. We are to recognize God's blessings. Look at verse 16 and 17. Jesus begins the parable. He begins his teaching. He tells them a story. Now, there's a man who is asking him a question, and in the story, he's talking about a rich man. So in verse 16, the story says, A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. The man said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Jesus is saying, We've got to recognize the blessings of God, and be sure that we don't leave God out of the equation. The man in the story, and no doubt the man who asked the question, he's, he's seemingly focused on self instead of God and his blessings. Jesus here says that it was the farm or the ground or his crops that produced the harvest. The rich fool in the story didn't seem to understand the source of his prosperity. In this verse and in verses to come, count how many times you see the words, I or my. It's a bunch. Now, again, it's the story Jesus is telling, but the truth is this man is not recognizing the blessings that come from God. Scripture talks about the fact that the blessings and all good things are coming from God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, What do you have that you did not receive? Think about it. What do you have? What do you have in your possession that wasn't given to you or blessed you? And he says, and if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? He's saying, again, back to the, the psalm scripture, everything is God's. And, and we say, well, well, I earned that. I worked for that. I did that. Well, who created you? Who gave you the strength? Everything points back to God. Do we recognize the blessings from God? What we have, we've received it. It is a gift. So any boasting should be a boasting about God, how incredible, how awesome he is to bless us. See, unfortunately, we take many blessings for granted. True? We overlook so many things and many times just chalk it up to how awesome we are instead of how awesome and 
incredible our God is. So we many times overlook blessings, but we will often then whine and complain about what we don't have. Do we forget about how good God has been? Someone said this, don't just count your blessings, but consider the source. We focus so much on the gifts. We want more and more and more and more gifts. We overlook and forget the giver of the gift. We forget that it came from God. The blessings, the health, the strength, the guidance, the wisdom, all that we have comes from God. The reality is this. We already have a whole lot more than we think we do. Now, in, in this story, the man didn't get rich because he had a good crop. In fact, the story says a rich man had. He was already rich, already blessed. Everybody would interpret why he might be. This man apparently didn't understand it. He didn't see it. And we look at the story and we say, well, that's good for the story because that person was a rich man and he was blessed even more with this incredible crop. I mean, look at that person. Let's take a look inwardly a little bit. No matter what your situation might be, no matter what my situation might be, we are incredibly blessed when we think about this world as a whole. I came across these facts. 22,000 children die every day because of poverty. Now, we might not always have the exact food that we want when we want it, but we might not be to that point of poverty. 1.6 billion people live without electricity. You thankful for some electric? Got some lights, got some sound, got some air conditioning. Some of you, you say, man, it is freezing in here and I'm sweating up a storm. I'm thankful for some electricity. 2.6 billion people lack access to proper sanitation. And 3.5 billion people across our globe live on less than $2.50 a day. So think about that last trip to Starbucks or McDonald's or that, that pizza or that eating out. That one snack, that one meal might have been several weeks for the average person across our world. And yet our thought Many times, if we're not careful, is all about what we don't have rather than what we do. Jesus is saying we've got to recognize God's blessings. And the fact is we are blessed much more than we might imagine. I'm thankful for our church. We are in Alger, a small rural community. We've got a smaller rural church, and we're looking to address and update and refresh some of the things about our building. And thank you for your giving. We've done some things on our ceilings and, and carpeting and, and looking to continue to do some things about our bathrooms, our restrooms. But you just think about it. And it hit me this week. Yes, we're looking to try to update and refresh our facilities. But I think about this from a few years ago in Tanzania. 
I went with a, a bunch of other pastors and leaders from across our state. We went to see what God was doing in Tanzania as they were growing and planting churches and reaching people for Jesus. And that became a, a kind of the, the seed for thought of our Ohio for Jesus plan. They've had a Tanzania for Jesus plan. And this was a particular church. Uh, there were hundreds of pastors and leaders from around the region that came. And this church, uh, the, the facility, did have some uh, electricity. It was probably similar to maybe this size of sanctuary. This was one building. No running water in any of their facilities. There was a large well that they were pumping water. And the restrooms, this was the restroom. Now, you can't see it, but on the left, there's a, a piece of paper hanging on the door, and it said, for guests, VIP. It was also written in Swahili. So uh, the handful of us who were guests, we were there to preach and to teach and to encourage and, and have services. They were designating this specific restroom just for us. It's like four or five of us. That meant that the hundreds of other people, they were using the other restrooms. So we were blessed with the VIP restroom, which, as you can see on the right, it was a small, tiled room, a hole in the floor, a bucket of water, and a roll of toilet paper. That was the VIP restroom. I'm thankful for the blessings of God. Yes, we're looking to do our best and, and refresh and, and take care of the facilities that we've been blessed with, but sometimes we don't quite let it sink in how much we are blessed. Because we get to, to looking at all the stuff we don't have. We overlook what we do. So Jesus is saying, measure your life appropriately. Recognize the blessings of God. Don't overlook them. And then number three, big challenge. The challenge is to live content. He continues in verse 18 and 19 as he tells about the man in the story. The man says, I know. He's been blessed with this incredible crop. He says, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. The bigger, the better, right? Then I'll have room enough to store up all my wheat and other goods, and I'll sit back and say to myself, friend, you've got enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. See, the problem is we always want more than we already have. What's the common phrase? You've heard it. People say it. we got to keep up with the Joneses. Except there might not be the Joneses. We got to keep up with that neighbor. Got to keep up with that family member. Got to keep up with that coworker. Got to keep up with that classmate. And if they've got something I don't have, well, then I want it. I need it. It tends to be a common theme. We always tend to want more than what we already have. Individuals of any age can certainly give in and fall prey to this trap. It, it does tend to hit well in, in younger individuals, and particularly young adults. Young married couples get married. They want everything that their parents had, and it took them a lifetime to work for. They want to get married and, boom, have it all. It's the challenge because we see so much being advertised is that you need this and this and this. 
as a single youth pastor, I was in Galleon in a, in a uh, two-bedroom, a little apartment. All of my furniture was either donated or borrowed. Bed, couch, love seat, recliner, little dining room, coffee table. Infamously, my end tables were cardboard boxes covered with towels. Somehow those disappeared when we got married. And we lived in that little apartment. Now, after I graduated college, what did I buy? Oh, I bought an entertainment center, bought a TV, and bought a VCR because I already had the stereo system. I mean, I got to have that. All the other stuff, we'll, we'll figure it out. So we get married. We're in the apartment for a year or two, and we decide to buy a house. It's a kind of a neat little Cape Cod, I think about 1,100, 1,200 square feet. And it had been recently redone. It had new carpet and paint and some woodwork, and it was, it was sharp looking. Now, the furniture that I had been given, now this was in the 90s. We got married in 2000, and so somewhere around 2001, so we're looking to buy this house. This was furniture from the 70s. It had multiple shades and stripes of every color brown you can imagine. It was like a shaggy brown carpet on furniture. Love seat, couch, and chair. Now, in the apartment, everything was kind of neutral. It was just kind of, you know, neutral walls. And so it blended in with anything. We bought this house, and it was painted beautifully. It had this great sage green, real light, almost a minty. And then the thought of that multicolored brown stripe furniture up against sage green just didn't quite hit us right. So though we were stretching to get into a house, what did we do? The financially prudent thing, which is to spend $50 and paint the room so our furniture would look good? No, no, no. It's to go out and spend $2,000 on new furniture. And put it on the credit card. And shortly after that, buy a dog and put him on the credit card. You're laughing. You've probably been there too. Yes. Because we always want more than what we have. Advertisers do a great job of getting you and me to want more than what we have. I mean, you name the item, and you can remember the advertisement. You can remember the commercial for it. Homes and cars and clothes and electronics. I remember years ago, probably right around 2013, I called and talked to my mom every week, and this was a day she called me on an, a day that was not our, our normal conversation day. And in a perky voice, she said, Mark, guess what I just got today? And in my life, I would never have guessed the words that would have come out of her mouth. She said, I got an iPhone. I didn't have an iPhone. 2013, I had an Apple MacBook Pro. I had a number of technological stuff, but I did not have an iPhone. My mom had an iPhone. Guess who wanted an iPhone all of a sudden? That very year, 
probably not too many months afterwards, I bought an iPhone. And again, guess what happens? Whether it's Apple or Samsung, any cell phone company you have, they come out with a brand new phone every single year. So not only once I got that phone in 2013, in 2014, they came out with a new one. And 15 and 16 and 17. And so the struggle, I had that phone for four years. Finally got another one in 2017. Had it in 17 and 18 and 19 and 20 and 21 until January of this year. I got another one. And, and I've got an iPhone, but guess what? In two months, every September, two months they're going to have a brand new one. So the challenge is, how long can I hold on to this before I want the newest and greatest? Now the goal is, I'm thinking four or five years. That's what I've done in the past. Some people might do it every three years or every two years or simply every single year. But the challenge is, whether it's cell phone, whether it's housing, whether it's a vehicle, whether it's electronics and video games and clothing, we tend to want more than we already have. See, the question is, how much is enough? How much is enough to be satisfied? When John D. Rockefeller was the richest man in the world, someone asked him how much money was enough. His answer was right on the money. He said, just a little bit more. No matter how much you make or have, what would you be content with? Oh, well, just a little more. Someone making minimum wage, maybe around $9, $10 an hour, what would make them happy? 11 Man, if I got $11 an hour, it would be awesome. Someone making 11 12 they want 13 14 15 Someone making 15, man, if I could, I heard someone making 18 and $20 an hour. Man, if I had that, I would be set. Someone making 20 wants 25. Someone making 25 wants 30. Someone making 30,000 a year says, if I just had 40, I'd be happy. Someone making 40 says, well, if I just had 50. Whatever we want to be content, it's always just a little more than wherever we are. It's surprising because you'll, you'll read uh, studies and interviews, people who make X amount of money. And you say, wow, if I made that amount of money, I'd be set. And you're reading about how this person wants even more. It doesn't matter where you are, how much or how little you have. What would make us content? John D. Rockefeller said, just a little more. Here's what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, 11 and following. He says, I've learned. Underline, highlight, circle that word learned. He said, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. He says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, we like that verse on its own where we say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and we make that to mean, man, I can be in the NFL. I can do all things. 
I can dunk a basketball. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. We don't realize he's using this verse right after verse 11 and 12 about being content. I can do all things. I can even be content through him who gives me strength. He says, I've learned to be content. Contentment's not measured by what we have, but by what we don't. Do we love God enough to be content with what we already have? Here's the thing. We can always get more and always want more. And and people say, well, money can't buy happiness. And like, yeah, well, you should try it. Money can buy a lot of things. Money can buy a bed, but not sleep. Money can buy you books, but not brains. Food, but not a healthy appetite. Money can buy you a house, but it won't make it a home. Money can buy medicine, but not health. Amusement, but not joy. Allies, but not friends. Money can buy you content, but not contentment. And so Jesus is saying, here's the man in the story. He's got all kinds of stuff, and what is he wanting to do? I'm going to tear down what I have. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to fill it up, and then I'll be happy. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. He didn't quite realize he was already rich. Didn't quite realize what he had, and the blessings of this crop came from God. He wants to tear it down, get bigger and better, more, more, more. Jesus is saying, live content. Final principle. Most important as Jesus closes his story out in verse 20 and 21, the principle is seek God. So God said to him, the man in the story, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you've worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. It's interesting. Jesus does not use the word fool lightly. Twice here in the book of Luke. The other time, Jesus was addressing a Pharisee. Had some strong words for them. This man was a fool because he thought things could satisfy his life instead of God. He thought about all the material things, all the material goods, all the gifts he'd received, but he wasn't thinking about the giver of the gifts. He says, you're a fool because you're not planning properly. The man thought he was doing an awesome job of planning. I mean, I've got this down. I've got all kinds of stuff. I'm going to tear down my little barn. I'm going to build me a great big jumbo barn. I'm going to fill it up, and then I'm going to have enough to live off of. He thought he was planning awesome. He wasn't planning properly. He was so focused on his future, he forgot about his future. He was thinking about all the earthly things and not thinking about the spiritual. Focused on the temporary, overlooking the eternal. See, the reality is no matter how much you make or accumulate, you can't take it with you. As they say, time after time after time, you don't see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. That phrase gets overused, but it's a visual. 
all this stuff that we work so hard to get, we can't, we can't take it with us. He's not saying that it's wrong to enjoy living life. Nothing wrong with enjoying the gifts that God has given, has blessed us with. But he says, be careful, be cautious that you don't have so much fun in the now, spend so much time and effort on the now, that you overlook the later. You overlook eternity, and you don't have a relationship with God. You focused so much on stuff, you've neglected the Savior. He was a fool because he overlooked his eternity. He thought he had so much more time. In fact, in the scripture, he says, you will die this very night. The man didn't know it. He thought, I've got plenty of time to enjoy all my stuff. Seemingly, every day or every week, somebody famous, some actor or some sports hero or some musician from eras gone by passes away. You always hear stories about them. And sometimes when somebody is younger and passes away, here's what they say. Oh, it's such a shame. I mean, he had life by the tail. He, he was accumulating everything, and he passed away. Because the thought is, look at how much stuff that person has. The emphasis, the focus is on the possessions. The tragedy of this man in the story is he was about to enter into an eternity without God. He didn't have a relationship with God. So Jesus says it's important to measure our life appropriately, to recognize his blessings, to live content, and to seek God. I used this roll of toilet paper a little earlier talking about the restroom in Tanzania, but I want you to picture with me. If I were to unroll this roll of toilet paper and it goes down the aisle out the church imagine if this roll of toilet paper was so large that it would just wrap around our entire globe and then from our globe maybe to the the moon or to the sun or all the way around our galaxy and all of the galaxies that are be, uh, being explored and and uh, uncovered talk about light years away That'd be an awful long roll of toilet paper. You would not run out of that one. Now, I'm going to tear off a square. I want you to think about this square of toilet paper representing our life here on earth. It's limited, it's finite, it's of a certain amount or length of time, whatever we are blessed with, but that's the time here on earth. Now imagine the rest of that roll of toilet paper all the way out, down the aisle, out the church, around the globe, all across all of the other solar systems. Imagine that that would represent eternity. And yet, here we are on our life, so focused on this square, we overlook the majority of what's to come. Jesus 
encourages and teaches us to live content during that time period, but make sure that we seek God.